0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program, my friends. Tragedy in Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, our hearts, our prayers go out to uh, the good people of South Carolina. What a just tragedy. What else can you say? It's sick. It's sick. Um, If you're just kind of... uh, getting the news, um, nine people were shot and killed uh, last night in a historic black church in South Carolina. By the way, one woman was spared, and the, the the gunman, I guess, told her to tell everybody what happened. I mean, and really, they're they're calling it a hate crime. A lot of information is coming out right now, so, you know, we don't know everything that happened, but they are looking for a 20-something-year-old white male. They have a video surveillance uh, picture of him, and that is now out. There's a manhunt for this man driving a black sedan, four-door sedan. But uh, anyway, it actually – it's just – it it goes back to – Hate and to paradigms and to beliefs that we have about people. And um, a lot of that is going to be this first hour of the show today. We're going to be getting into how you could create a a view of a, a group of people or a person that could be carried for millennia, 1400 years, it's happened in the Middle East. And uh so we are going to be talking with Ted Ellsworth who is a BYU graduate student and uh expert in the Shia Sunni schism I guess we'll call it. Uh the division between Shia and Sunni which is basically the reason the Middle East is in shambles. And we'll talk it all comes back from the day at, you know after Muhammad died somebody had to take over should it be one of his family members or should it be just one of his great followers? And from then on, the Shia Sunnis have divided and it's been full of hate ever since. Now, that's a 1,400-year-old battle. And then just symbolically, there's still hate going on in the country. Again, demonstrated, I believe, uh, in South Carolina. So, oh, just tragedy. Um but when we get into this, folks, it's, nothing is easy, and so one of the goals that we have on this program is to give you some information, some understanding. Instead of just thinking the Middle East is in chaos, for example, let's learn. Let's figure out why they're in chaos, and it might help us, you know, maybe elect better leaders that might understand things better. It might help us to, you know, not just think people are dumb, not just keep continuing beliefs that maybe aren't effective or healthy. So we'll be getting into that in a few minutes. But before we do that, we always like uh, to go to our our great news expert, Kathy Aiken, who's going to give us the headlines.
1: Well, Matt, as you mentioned, nine people are dead, six men and three women, and at least one injured, following a shooting in a South Carolina church last night. A white male allegedly opened fire at the Emanuel AME Church. Among the victims is the church's 41-year-old pastor. Before opening fire, the gunman sat with the congregation and listened to Bible study for almost an hour.
2: We are looking for a white male, approximately 21 years old, sandy blonde hair, and he obviously is extremely dangerous. And what we are asking is that if anyone in the community has information about this particular individual, that he contact law enforcement immediately.
1: Authorities are treating this as a possible hate crime. Meanwhile, the search continues on for the two escapees from a New York prison. Officials released new time-lapsed photos of the men on how they may look today with facial hair. The search has expanded after 11 days of searching in the nearby 10,000 wooded acres. Brian Williams, the NBC anchor who was suspended for exaggerating a story about the aircraft he was in while covering the war in Iraq, will not be returning to his former job. Lester Holt, who has been filling in for Williams the last four months, will stay there, becoming the first black solo anchor of a weekday network nightly news. Williams will move to MSNBC. For the first time in over 40 years, McDonald's is closing more stores than it's opening this year. The world's largest hamburger chain has over 14,000 U.S. locations. McDonald's is trying to hold on to customers who are looking for a healthier alternative. Pope Francis is calling for action on climate change. The Pope said if nothing was done, the Earth could become, quote, an immense pile of filth. He blamed the problem on apathy, fossil fuel-based economies, and a greedy global economic system. And Matt, do you ever... You know, forget what you had for breakfast uh, every day, day. Before, Every day. Every day. Well, according to a recent study, eating trans fats may affect your memory. The well, research it. found younger men who ate high levels of trans fats didn't do so well on a memory test involving a word recall compared Uh-oh. to those who ate lower levels. <laughs> Holy so, cow. So here's what happened. The men were shown 104 cards, each had a single word on it, and they were asked whether or not the word was new or if they had already been shown the word. <laughs> Well, men who consumed 16 grams of trans fats recalled 12 fewer words correctly. Wow. Well, those who ate 28 grams of trans fats per day remembered 21 less words. So, Holy cow. But either forget, way, you're remembering right?
0: fewer words.
1: <laughs> exactly. I
0: That explains my entire life. <laughs> That is my problem.
1: You're eating too much margarine. Uh huh. Too many snack foods.
0: Too much uh, trans fat. So anything yeah. like anything, pretty much served at a restaurant, like a fast food restaurant,
1: or well, anything too that are in baked goods that kind of make them last forever on your shelf. Mm. Those are loaded with trans fats. Stuff like that. Yeah. So,
0: so next time you
1: forget something, then you'll think, Wow, well, it must have been trans <sighs> fats I ate this morning.
0: Isn't that that's actually really good enough? Because I thought I had dementia. But apparently, it's just those. It's just those Twinkies yeah. I eat every so morning. So just
1: stop that and. and oh my! Uh, it will help.
0: Where have you been, Kathy? I know.
1: Just I have these great stories, so. Just you could to have help saved me
0: so much time. I know. Like, but now I guess here's the question: What am I supposed to eat for breakfast then?
1: You're supposed to eat. Let's see, oatmeal. Ugh. You don't like oatmeal. Love oatmeal. I
0: think I'm oatmeal. out. Oatmealed out. You've had too much. Yeah. It's too good for me. I've overdosed.
1: Scrambled eggs.
0: Love it. Don't usually have time to scramble them at 4.40.
1: That's hard, yeah. How about a good smoothie in the morning? Just throw it ah, all in the blender, you know? Yeah.
0: A lot of that seems like it's work.
1: Good protein. I just like More something protein. you
0: can pull just out of a wrapper.
1: Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> <laughs> I just want I want the Pop-Tarts. I want a healthy Pop-Tart. I love a good Pop-Tart. Why
0: can't they make a healthy Pop-Tart?
1: Because they have to put the trans fats to make it last for 30 years in the box. Mm, trans fats. Yeah.
0: That's kind of sad. <laughs> you ruin a good thing with a little trans fat. But um, I heard that they were getting rid of all the trans fats.
1: They're trying to. The FDA is kind of trying to, you know, what in three years have them kind of all gone, which is never going to happen. Which but...
0: means, though, if this is all true, that, that everyone will immediately start remembering everything. Exactly. Which probably will take them all out of the malaise. Uh-huh. And then we'll vote everyone out of Congress because we'll remember. (laughs) We'll be like, oh, you're the guys that – oh, okay.
1: But see, the good part of this, I read where the trans fats, it kind of causes inflammation in the body. Yeah. But something that is the opposite is chocolate. Oh. It kind of helps with inflammation. So just eat more chocolate.
0: Oh, my heavens. This is great. (laughs) Now, we are not – we're not nutritionists. No, absolutely
1: not. We're not doctors.
0: But – it's a great idea. Yeah. To, I'd at least try it. Everybody go try, get rid of the Twinkies. You
1: just put chocolate on your oatmeal and, it, and you'll be great.
0: And instead go grab a Snickers bar. <laughs> there you go. Like <laughs> advertising. I'm sure has no trans fats. No trans fats. fats in a Snickers bar because there's chocolate in it. Great job. Great job, Kathy. Um, wow, that's good to know. I thought I was just losing my mind. Nope, it's just I'm having the fog of too, much, too many trans fats. Hey, uh, we are going to be jumping into a really some would say heavy topic right but part of part of the issue here is we talk about Iran we and and the you know the entire uh, negotiation that's going on with um, Iran right now in the United States um, we're t- and the nuclear kind of negotiating that we talk about Syria and the war that's going on in Syria and how Saudi Arabia gets involved and Iran gets involved and we don't always know I think what we're talking about and then you'll listen to the news and you'll hear him throw out words like Shia or, and Sunni or Shiite and Sunni. You'll hear words about Al-Qaeda and ISIS, right? These are all terms we, we've all heard. We know that we went to Afghanistan and because of the Taliban. What does it all mean? And what I have found just because I'm a very simple man. My brain is very simple, mainly because it's filled with trans fats. In fact... When I sneeze, the trans fats (laughs) just flow from my body. But here's the problem. To keep life simple, if we wanted to understand the Middle East in two words, I would go with these two words, okay? Shia and Sunni. And if you can understand a little bit more about the Shia and the Sunnis, you will understand a lot about what's going on in the Middle East. And the crazy thing is it's been going on about 1,400 years. So if it's been going on for 1,400 years, we we probably ought to be realistic about what the U.S. can go into the Middle East and do. So we could throw more troops in, or we could decide not to. We could, you know, go destabilize a country there. We could go in and take over Syria. We could go insert ourselves in Libya or Lebanon or wherever. We could put our planes in Turkey. And in the end, we, can't, we can never figure out why, A, they don't like Americans, and we can't figure out why none of this ever gets better. Well, it might not be getting better because this is a battle that's gone on forever. So we've asked an expert to come join us. Ted Ellsworth is going to be joining us after this next break, and he's going to be walking us through what is the difference between the Shia and the Sunni and just educating us. That's all I wanted is a little education from somebody in the know that's brain whose brain is not filled with trans fats. That's the goal. Of today's show, everything's about the trans fat today. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to take on the Shia-Sunni division, and uh, hopefully give you some insight, some light as to where all these problems come from. It's a it's a pretty good beginning, I believe. This is the Matt Townsend show. Stick with us. We'll be right back, figuring out the Middle East right here on the Matt Townsend show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, again, Sunni, Shia, have you heard the term? It's out there. They use it on the news pretty much every night. And yet, I would say pretty much 95% of Americans, probably more than that, couldn't tell or even distinguish the difference between the Shia and the Sunni. But it's, it's, it's core to what's going on in the Middle East. So we have been looking all over BYU campus for somebody that could help us understand this the difference between the Shias and the Sunnis and how it is probably a major part of what's going on in the tension in the Middle East. It's about, a, I guess, a 1,400-year-old problem. So we found Ted Ellsworth, uh, who is joining us today. He's a Middle Eastern Studies graduate student here at Brigham Young University. And you know what? Uh, he's got a lot of great insight to help us with. So, Ted, thanks for being here.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me. Did uh, you Now, you're a graduate student studying what? So I'm actually an undergraduate student, okay. uh, double majoring in Arabic and Middle Eastern studies. Are you
0: really? Yes. Now, why? <laughs> it's um, so complicated. That's hard stuff.
3: Yeah. I I fell in love with politics in high school, and that love carried over, and... On a whim and a recommendation of a friend, I decided to switch into Arabic and fell in love with it.
0: Are you going on? Are you going to go get a Ph.D.? What are you thinking?
3: That's the plan. So my hope is to go to University of Michigan after this to get a master's degree in Middle Eastern studies and then move on from there.
0: move on and check it out. So help us understand, they're Sunnis and they're Shias. Also, they call them Shiites, right? Correct. Help us understand what – because this to me is the tension, right, in the Middle East is between these two – I guess, are they called sects?
3: Yeah. So it's tempting to think of the two organizations of Sunni and Shia as these homogenous groups, but they're actually quite diverse. You yeah. have a number of different Shia organizations. You have Twelvers, or 7 or Shias. Mm. You have Zaydis who are, you know, the product of modern day Houthis in Yemen. So you see a lot of mobility of different Sunni and Shia groups, but ultimately the rift stems from a crisis of succession in 632 CE, right following the Prophet Muhammad's death.
0: So when Muhammad died, somebody needed to succeed him as the prophet, the leader. One group wanted wanted to kind of go on the bloodline, so it should follow the bloodline of the prophet, right? A, a cousin, and one wanted it to follow just a leader, a a, a leader that was um, one of his contemporaries.
3: Right. So there's this principle in Islam called ishtima, which means consensus. And that principle of consensus, the community gathered together and were trying to determine who would be the most rightful successor. And that's actually one of the largest theological rifts between Sunnis and Shias. Hmm. You have Sunnis who argue that rather than a need for a continued successor to the prophet spiritually, there was a need for someone to guide the religious and political community, but no longer a need for the prophet. So that's where the caliph steps in. Shias differ from that equation slightly. They believe in what's called the imamate. Now, the imam is somebody who receives special authority and can receive special knowledge from God that is not accessible to everyday individuals. So the imam is a special individual directly tied to the lineage of the prophet Muhammad, capable hmm. of interceding even on behalf of the Shia in the face of God.
0: So the Shia basically thought the, kind of the concept of prophet would continue through an imam.
3: Yeah, they believe it's slightly different from a prophet. It's a but little, okay, the concept yeah. of continued religious, religious leader, leader, yeah,
0: versus a caliph, which was which was um, like a, a a government that was religious, correct, but not necessarily an imam, not run by an imam, right? Which is interesting because ISIS is trying to find found a new caliphate, right? Which is also interesting because ISIS. Oh, I guess ISIS, they are Sunnis.
3: Right. So ISIS is the product of years of what's known as a Salafi sect of Islam, and Salafi argues for a return to the basic principles of the Golden Age, those periods in between the four rightly guided caliphs, as they're called. And so it's this very regressive ideology, a return to this very basic primordial understanding based upon Hadith and the Quran that argues for very strict interpretation, a declaration of apostasy for anyone who falls outside of that realm, as well as a concept of dynamic jihad and military aggression.
0: Wow. So here's here's the deal then. So if you think of the Middle East and just pretty much you could name any country in the Middle East, and there's going to be some division of Sunni Sufi, right? It'll pro- like, a, like, for example, Saudi Arabia would be more Sunni or, yeah, Sunni. So not Sufi. Sorry. Sunni and Shia. Right. So Saudi Arabia is Sunni. Is that right? Yes. Um, Iran, it would be more Shia. Correct. Iran and Saudi Arabia don't like each other. Right. For that very reason. Yeah. Right.
3: And there's a lot of there's a lot of other reasons as well, but it's really compounded by that. Interesting relationship between a very very Sunni Islamic state and a very very Shia Islamic state isn't that
0: interesting? So then you've got other countries, Iraq and Iraq would have about sixty sixty five percent Shia thirty thirty five percent or whatever um, Sunni so that was that was destabilized in the Iraqi war, right? And I guess that was one of the issues. So what ended up causing the destabil? because this seemed – for 1,400 years, this has been going on. But it seems like it's really – I mean, it's probably had gone up and down and had problems over the years. But it seems like in the last 30 years or so, or 40, it's it's—it's really gotten worse. Absolutely. What's
3: caused that? There are a couple of factors that explain why tensions are rising. The first is increasing Iranian regional influence. In the past, Iran has chosen to – mainly backed off. But recently, it's become more aggressive in funding foreign militias throughout the Middle East. So you have Hezbollah in mm-hmm. Lebanon. And then in Iraq, as you mentioned, you have the destabilization of the regime. Now, you have Saddam Hussein, who's this Ba'athist Sunni leader, who's issuing this vigorous campaign of repression against the Shia majority in order to sustain his power. But when he's overthrown, you have this transitional Transition of power where a new constitution is drafted. Sunnis are marginally excluded from the drafting of that constitution. And she has come into power, but they turn that on its head yeah. as a vigorous campaign of re-repression to essentially pay it back. So Maliki issues this very ethnically based system <laughs> of policies yeah. to entrench and oppress Sunnis. So the the irony, of course, is with organizations like ISIS – they're a combination of groups of Islamists who were vigorously oppressed by Saddam Hussein and Ba'athists. So you have both sides turning over now. So as a result of years of sectarian strife, Iranian regional influence, you have mobile militias that weren't there before, regional contestations for power.
0: Interesting. Now you've had – so when Iran is, is – uh, and Hezbollah are out supporting terrorist groups, I assume they're supporting Shia terrorist groups. Right,
3: they're supporting Shia militia groups.
0: Shia so. militia groups that would inevitably be fighting against Sunnis. Right. So you know, so you've got and, and you need you need all of these uh, kind of uh, militias or or uh, jihadists or whatever we're call, what would we call uh, a Sunni? What's a Sunni militia group?
3: Um. So. I guess the technical term would be terrorist organization. Both argue for their own independent interpretations of jihad and Mm -hmm. have their own, I guess, agenda. So
0: this is such an interesting thing because we always kind of knew that we were – as the Americans or the Westerners, we were always the infidels in relation to their aggression and terrorism. We are obviously we're enemies. We were. But they were also enemies with each other. They also – Sunnis think that uh, the Shias aren't quite – Righteous enough. And those Shias think the Sunnis aren't righteous enough. Right. Is that accurate?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So
0: they're already warring with each other and they already see each other as infidels.
3: Right. So and not everyone feels that way. Yeah, There's no, a lot no, of, no like, but Yeah. The support, active but the active militia groups are vigorously engaged in a process of issuing fatwas against the mm-hmm. others. Probably. Isn't that
0: it's such an interesting thing because. When we sit there and somebody is all – yeah, they're Muslim and there's all this kind of anti-Muslim movement, there's very few Muslims that probably are deeply involved in all of this, right?
3: Right. Absolutely.
0: They just – they're kind of just – they just believe in Muhammad. Right. (laughs) And they just want to believe in their god or their prophet and their god, um, Allah, and yet then there's these certain percentage – what percentage would you say are really active in either Shia or Sunni, and are active in this division and fight day in, day out?
3: That is a good question, which I don't really have an answer for you. Well, no,
0: I'm just testing you. Come on. (laughs) You know so much more than the rest of us, Ted. Again, we're talking with Ted Ellsworth, who's a BYU uh, student, but is um, really, truly an expert in this Shia and Sunni world. And he's trying to help us understand The Middle East. We're going to take a break and come back. I've got a lot of other questions, because when we send democratization into this world and we open up Iraq and we democratize it and say, what we're now going to do is let you vote and have the freedom to vote, all they're hearing is, oh, great, um, majority rules. But if you're in the minority in any of these countries, which could be either Sunni's or she is, democracy doesn't sound like a good idea. So no wonder we get a lot of pushback. We're going to continue this discussion as we talk with Ted Ellsworth from BYU. Uh, We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we're taking on a really big subject today. And if you've had too many trans fats this morning, you're probably not going to remember any of this. We just learned that. You eat too many trans fats, it impacts your memory. But uh, shake it off for a minute because we are in the middle of a lesson. And again, I don't even want to pretend like I have a clue because I've just, all I've done is study and you know, in and on, on and off for the last few years, not in depth, but Sunnis, Shias. You've heard the terms. They're two major, major, uh, um, I guess, sects of the Muslim belief system. And Sunnis and Shias are basically battling each other. Joining us today is Ted Ellsworth, a BYU uh, student, but scholar really and um, in fact when we called the department of uh, I think Near Eastern Studies and all of these different studies or departments looking for somebody Ted is the one they referred us to which is pretty awesome so Ted when PhD faculty are saying you got to talk to Ted (laughs) Ted's the guy that can sort out the Shia Sunni thing that's that's quite a compliment to you so thanks for being here
3: yeah thanks for having me
0: Um, in a nutshell Sunnis basically uh eighty five percent of Muslim world would be would probably fall under a sunni belief system now again, none of this is just a straight line sure a lot of different sects, a lot of different beliefs a lot of different which would happen in any world the christian world's been broken into how many churches how many different beliefs, more liberal views, more conservative views the same thing has happened in Islam, and um this, the eighty five percent of those of the of The Muslim world would probably affiliate with a Sunni belief system, which is kind of – if I'm getting it right, Ted, um, just let the governments – that's where the caliphs came, the caliphate came. Just kind of follow a basic government belief system that's Muslim-oriented. Right. One of the biggest financiers, I'm assuming, of the Sunni world would be Saudi Arabia because these people need money. Right. And so Saudis had the money and kind of the the, is that was that is that the center of the Sunni world?
3: It's certainly a large part of it. Saudi Arabia has a couple of ways in which it has a dramatic influence in the region. The first is that it has large oil exports, which means that you have this very high level rentier state, which means that most of its money is being obtained through oil rents, which it's sending to other countries. It's not trickling down to its population that it's using to. One, export large amounts of ideological propaganda right. across the Middle East. But you also have monetary support in favor of campaigns that are beneficial to Saudi Arabia.
0: So Saudis or, or Sunnis are are going to try to prop up Sunnis in the, all of the other countries in the Middle East.
3: Yeah. I mean you you have some cultural, political, nationalistic things that get in the way of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But – That aside, you do have this natural Sunni alliance between the states.
0: So that's the Sunni side. The Shia side, um, when the prophet Muhammad died, they thought the lineage should stay very much in the bloodline and not that we needed another prophet like Muhammad, but that we needed spiritual direction and leadership, imams, and that then – was a big part of um, Iran and, and so Iran tends to be a very Shia strong country that's gaining influence in the Middle East. But as it gains influence, it tends to gain it at the expense of Sunni power. So this is really a power battle between Sunni and Shia. Aaron Ross
3: Powell Absolutely. You have two regional hegemons who have you know, you know very strong stable states moving forward and trying to yeah. gain regional influence. And then Iran
0: has a revolution, which which basically has the the shahs and the imams taking over. Is that accurate? So
3: in 1979, you have the shah, who was backed by the United States, overthrown in this revolution, which was led out by a whole swath of both secular yeah. and Islamist. And then in a, a turn that nobody really saw, you had this co-option of Islamic revolutionaries. So just before that, you have... Ayatollah Khomeini, issued this fatwa, and in that edict he declares that not only should members of the Islamic faith be seeking revolution, but an Islamic revolution to liberate themselves from all sorts of freedoms. And then you have that manifest itself in Iran, interesting.
0: and I mean, and and to the death of Jimmy Carter. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> politically, um, isn't that interesting? And then uh, that so that all went down, and then then the Iraqi war. Um, Saddam was a Sunni? Yeah, a Ba'athist Sunni. A Ba'athist Sunni not not meaning he was well cleaned. Correct. What what was a ba- what's a Ba'athist? So
3: the members of the Ba'athist party were particularly three things they were secular, nationalist, and socialist. And so he wasn't
0: really a religious leader. He right. was a secular politician leader. Absolutely. And but apparently they thought had weapons of mass destruction. The United States went in. But he was also oppressing Kuwait. Right. And the United States goes in, destroys the system, gets rid of this uh, the um, this authoritarian regime, which all these authoritarian regimes kept all, most of this in check through the Middle East, right? Then when the authoritarian regime started falling, Libya, Gaddafi, all of these regimes that started falling – it kind of left it game on for the Shias and the Sunnis to start fighting again.
3: Right. It, it revealed all of these fractures within society that were maintained. Isn't that,
0: Isn't that weird? You needed almost an authoritarian regime to keep things in check. I mean it was still oppressive and that's who yeah, – that was the mass destruction that everyone was afraid of with Saddam is he'd, he would be going against the Shias. He would be just killing the Shias. Is that Right.
3: Yeah, there were a lot of moving targets as yeah. to what what was going on with Saddam and the ultimate objective and fear, why we were afraid of his regime, but, but once in we, the destabilized long term, it,
0: we destabilized we Once
3: he left, the country broke out into civil war. A few years later, it was never able to fully recover from that civil war. A new Political series of elections installed a leader who simply just reversed the cycle and issued mass repressive policies, further alienating Sunnis. Yeah. It's for those reasons that we can attribute the growth of ISIS throughout the region. So
0: we're we're in a quagmire that that really, if we just stayed out of it, it would get ugly no matter what we do, right? I mean, but this and this isn't just Iraq and Iran. And Saudi Arabia. This is Syria who had Bashar uh, – uh, what, what was his name? Bashar al-Assad. Bashar al-Assad,
3: who's still in power, but – and the Saud – and he's a Sunni? He is an Alawite, which is a minority faction, which is a derived from Shiism combined with some elements of pre-Islamic religions and oh, Christianity.
0: Man. Ted, you're killing me. <laughs> now you're making it even harder. But now what was happening – help me understand this – Iran now is sending their surrogates. Saudi sends their surrogates and there's wars going on in – for Syria between these two Shia Sunni powers to basically fix Syria and see who's going to end up owning Syria.
3: Right. So Syria has become an effectual proxy battle, usually in According to political science literature, when you look at civil conflict, civil conflicts don't last that long unless there are extraneous factors which make them last longer. And in the case of Syria, the large factor is no side is able to gain a decisive victory because you have so many foreign powers in place. You have Saudi Arabia, which is actively backing the Islamic front. You have Syria who's behind and – backed by the Iranian regime as well as members of Hezbollah on the Lebanese border actively fighting against ISIS. And you have all of these different cleavages. You have al-Nusra fighting ISIS and Hezbollah and all these different organizations caught in a crossfire vying for authority within the Syria.
0: Recently, we're hearing news about Yemen. and right. Now Yemen's involved. But So almost every war, every breakout, Lebanon you're hearing about, Turkey. And remember in the, in the Iraqi war, we wanted to put our planes into Turkey. But then – and Turkey was willing I think to let us stage our planes there. But I mean again, that creates a major fight in this Sunni-Shia battle because now Turkey was supporting. But Turkey's probably more a secular country, right? Right. Than it is a religious kind of um, system. Anyway, what do we – where do we go with all of this? This is a battle that's gone on 1,400 years that the average I would bet politician doesn't have a clue or fully get – the ones that are all briefed I'm sure they do I I mean I truly believe they understand a lot but this is a quagmire right and so what what do we need to know and and what cuz that, that this is the other reason why they don't like us and this is the other reason why to some degree democracy is a weird concept for them because this is about numbers right sure
3: so what what should we do well, I think that there are a couple of things to keep in mind when evaluating and kind of structuring policy towards the Middle East. First, it's tempting to think of American-side democracy as yeah. being the the fit-all for the Middle East, but that's not necessarily true. For example, if you look at Tunisia, Tunisia's had three successful democratic transitions since its yeah. up, uprisings in 2011. That's largely been as a result of his Islamic party, Ennahda, which has continually been involved in the leadership process the drafting of the constitution stepped out of power in favor of a secular party which you know was concerning so you kind of have to shift your understanding and focus of what democracy should or should not be but understanding those cleavages within the middle east is important because too often media representations depict the middle east and particularly the islamic community as this very homogenous yeah, entity right. everyone's One the entity. same and they all hate america but you know both of those claims are absolutely absurd you you have a large degree of sectarianism and infighting and cooperation among different groups, but understanding how these different groups operate, but also importantly, understanding how that religious contestation intersects with political and cultural and social norms. So with Iran and Saudi Arabia, we're not just talking about fueling sectarian conflict for the sake of sectarianism, but you have alliances which are Obtuse to sectarianism, for example, Houthi support by Iran doesn't make sense religiously, but it does make sense politically. So. It really does require that if we want to be serious about the Middle East and develop effective policies for the region, yeah. we need to start breaking it down more and be more open and honest about the fact that just like in the United States, how everything isn't homogenous, how there isn't simply, you know, we have 14 Republican candidates. for right. You know, there's a large cleavage in American society, too. We need to be more aware of those in the Middle East. No,
0: that's huge. And it's again, it's not like it's almost like we would think, well, why wouldn't all the Shias just move to Iran? And why wouldn't all the Sufi or the Sunnis just move? But the reality is there's whatever fifteen countries in the Middle East, or whatever the number is, with a disproportion and every one of them's got a disproportionate cut of of the Shia and the Sunni. So every country has its own battle inherent along with everything else going on in the country, along with just power struggles, financial struggles. All the other stuff going on. So Absolutely. it's so much more complicated. One of the things we were talking about, though, and sadly, where they all unite is in hatred of Israel almost. Right? I mean, again, and there are still Muslims that love sure. – that don't hate Israel. But um, where they – where these the, – the kind of extreme terrorist sides of the, of the Sunnis and the Shias do tend to align um, or align is against Israel.
3: Right. So you have kind of this pan-Islamizing effect when it comes to the Arab-Israeli conflict. And a lot of that is predicated upon, you know, this narrative that's spun throughout the Middle East, which has its merits of, you know, Palestinian people who have, you know, were in the land, lost a lot of the land, and, you know, continued years of conflict between the two. And it's a way of mobilizing the population. It's a common narrative that everyone can get behind. It's a way to build unity among you know, and cooperative endeavors among states, particularly within states among religious groups, it's something that everyone can get behind.
0: Yeah, when you when you then think of something like the Saudi prince or the Saudi king coming to America and being praised by the Bushes back in the day, right? Or and loved and beloved, you also then could understand why Iran and the Shi'a's and the Ayatollah would be so frustrated. Meanwhile, flip the the game and now with President Obama, maybe on the verge of creating some new agreement with Iran, you now have the Saudis that won't even come to certain meetings anymore with the president. So what's your take on the the deal with Iran and and what do you sense that's going to do to this whole situation?
3: Yeah, so – The deal with Iran is really interesting because, as you said, so our relationship with Saudi Arabia was born out of a couple of things. It was born out of a recognition of mutual oil gains, but particularly it was beneficial during the Cold War as a buffer against Soviet expansion – and so that relationship had a lot of strategic importance, but as time has evolved, that strategic necessity of having a good relationship with Saudi Arabia has decreased. Yeah. And now it's it's still a valuable ally, but its strategic necessity is diminishing. At the same time, however, now you have Iran, which for the for one of the first times in history has a moderate president, Hassan Rouhani who is advocating for open diplomatic talks with the United hmm. States, and he's not being checked back by the Supreme Leader. So he's able to go in. The IAEA is going and conducting these expansions. So, you, of course, Saudi Arabia is going to be freaking out because yeah. they think Uh-oh. there's this other regional power which could not only grow economically and r- remove those obstacles to economic growth, but if they have that those funds, how are they going to continue to expand their military propaganda and development throughout the middle east yeah. it 's a perfect counterbalance to how Saudi Arabia has always operated they 've always been able to operate without any sort of real penalty within yeah. the region, but now there's contestation with this nuclear oh. deal a nucle uh, an open deal with Iran means a moderated open Iran internationally
0: oh my heavens so i mean oh this see this is where it gets this is where it gets crazy right um, and then one more question i got to ask you is. We also, though kind of need the Americans do, especially if we're not going to keep putting troops into the Middle East to fight. We need surrogates to be fighting for us, so the idea and and Iran's willing to go do some of that fighting in certain ways, but so Saudis are willing to fight in certain ways um so in a way, we need them we kind of need them both, don't we right to fight different angles at different times and in different countries. Right and and really without them being involved in stabilizing this, which is almost in a weird way, it's almost like saying let's kind of go back to authoritarian-ish means to kind of restabilize.
3: Right, I think that understanding and evaluating the international politics requires a view of pragmatism that isn't so idealized. Yeah, exactly. That You know, there are a lot of challenges in the Middle East that require sometimes making cooperative endeavors with people that we like, and sometimes it forces us to make agreements with those that we don't. But a stable Middle East will require that active agreements are actively sought, power-sharing agreements are actively sought, and that some recognition ought to be better paid to what Vali Nasser, who's probably the foremost expert on the Sunni-Shia conflict, noted as – the conflicts of the 21st century that will continue to emerge mm. will be based upon the crucible of the Shia in Iran's arising.
0: Interesting.
3: Man. Well, I think I think you're fascinating, Ted. I mean, to think
0: that you're an undergrad student about to be done, that's amazing because you know a lot, my friend. Thank you. <laughs> and so keep studying. Go get your doctorate so you can change the world and teach a million more people uh, everything you know. Uh, Ted Ellsworth is his name um, and – He's a great resource. Ted, is there is there any way? Uh, how could people contact you? Any way? I mean, you probably don't want to give your email out because that would just create chaos. So, if you want to get a hold of Ted, just just come come just go talk to us on the uh, Dr. Matt show, um, and we'll get information so you can talk to Ted Ellsworth. Appreciate your help here, my friend. You you really did you you cleared up a lot. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well done. We're gonna take a break and uh, let you all you know go soak it all in. We'll come back to a quick Coach's Corner and uh, just try to understand what's really going on here. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Okay, you got it? Now we fixed it, right? <laughs> it's, it's chaos, isn't it? It's, it's chaotic. And so th- this is a really weird case where the enemy of your enemy is your friend. So in a weird way, right now, the United States, our, our avowed enemy for years, Iran, is now kind of becoming our friend. Saudi Arabia, who's always been our friend, you know, recently— it's also our friend. But what's happening is, and, I, and again, I'm not a political expert, but I think what's happening is our leadership has realized there's no stabilizing the Middle East when there's a Shia and a Sunni conflict that's gone on for 1,400 years. And the Middle East has become destabilized, so 14 or however many countries are now in chaos. Some of them aren't. But those that aren't already have a really established secular meaning non-religious government established, or a more religious government established, and it's keeping it in check. It's not perfect, and it's not democracy as Americans want to have it. But in the end, I think what we're seeing, and I think why you see President Obama uh, reaching out to Iran, is because without Iran, you're not going to probably stabilize the Shias, the 15% of the of the Shias that are in turmoil that might be causing a lot of problems in the Middle East. And without Saudi Arabia involved, you're not going to stabilize kind of the more aggressive Sunnis. So I think what he's trying to do is if you've ever played the game Jenga, he's trying to slowly pull a few pieces out of of the puzzle without tipping the whole thing over again. He's building it back up he's going to now none of these none of these players would we think are ideal, you know, always perfectly moral according to the US standard or version of it. Um and not necessarily pro-democracy, you know. I mean, Saudi Arabia doesn't have a great record with their women. Yet we're okay with them right now <laughs> because it's not about the women right now. Right now it's about they we need a stable big bully brother in Saudi Arabia and a big bully brother in um, Iran. And I think President Obama is going to try to lean them together, create some tension, some stability, and then pull out as fast as he can, (laughs) just like you do when you play Jenga. Once you get that piece out of that wood tower of little tiny, you know, little tiny, um, what do you call them, Ben? What would you call a Jenga piece? Just a little piece of wood once you get it pulled out just see if it'll balance and once it's balanced get out of the way folks it's that complicated now let me just bring it home real quick to the degree that you have a 1400 year old war you also have very similar kind of battles and wars that might even be going on in the united states and we may have seen in the shooting at a church a hate crime based in a prejudice a belief could have been religious. We don't know. We don't know the data on that. But folks, these paradigms keep us entrenched and stuck in pain and misery. And I think we, a lot of times, we think we're doing something for our God or for something that's right, and yet we're doing it in such an ugly, vicious, maniacal, devilish way. How on earth can you feel godly? We need to question it a little bit. And it might also tell us nothing is as easy as we want it to be and nothing is as ideal as it should be. Life is tough. Life is complicated. And uh, we're here to learn. That's just that's why we brought it to you. Hope we didn't overwhelm your mind. I mean, it's tough, I know. And it's not always something you want to talk about. But thanks for listening and learning. We'll take a break. Hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. It's in the can. There we go. It's all done. We'll take a break. Come back next hour. More ideas. We're going to be talking about the power of fathers up next on the Matt Townsend Show.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
2: Your guide on the side.
1: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
4: At Dr. Matt Show.
1: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
4: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
4: BYU Radio.
0: Good morning, friends. Welcome to the show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. You know, we try every day to bring you the topics, the ideas you need to to do better and to live a healthier, happier life. Today, no exception. If you listen to the first hour, your head's probably hurting because we talked about Shia Sunni's Middle East conflict okay but it was i thought it was really in, insightful and important just cuz most of us don't get that this hour though i we're going to lighten it up a bit we're going to be talking about dads father's day's coming up this sunday and we really wanted to not only just focus on dads talk about the importance of it and again you may not be you know you may not have had a great dad in your life you may not have had one that was even there at all or you may have had one that wasn't healthy maybe was abusive But we're going to be talking about the power that a dad can have in a life uh, or even just a male role model, a mentor, a leader. I'm finding just with my kids' friends, nothing on earth can be more important than just being there sometimes for my kids' friends. Uh, In my world, I get to, you know, coach and meet with a lot of people that are struggling And one of my favorite people to meet with would be a friend of one of my children. So sometimes they might have anxiety or or other issues or social issues or whatever, and they'll come see me or their marriage might be in in turmoil. And to be able to get close to my kids' friends, man, it, it creates a great opportunity for me, interestingly, to actually influence my kid. So we'll be talking about the power of dads and father's hopefully motivating you to, to, uh, to be a better father, to be a better role model. Um, and also, you know, I just wanted to get your mind wrapped around Father's Day. Don't just run out and get your dad a tie. If your dad's not the guy that likes ties, don't buy your dad a tie. Don't just go buy him a sleeve of golf balls, even if he loves golf. Find another way to serve your dad. And one of the things I'm going to be challenging you to do is communicate with him. Tell your father how much you appreciate him, how much you care about him. It's so interesting as you watch like the NBA finals or you watch, I watched my son's graduation and they had a big camera and a jumbotron and all the kids would end up being on the jumbotron right as they were graduating. And so many of the times they would say, hi, mom. Hi, mom. It was mom, which is fantastic. Very rarely are they like, hey, dad. No, dad. But I get it. Moms are important, right? Essential. Hey, so are dads. So as Father's Day is coming up, let's, uh, let's also celebrate the dads. We'll be doing that in a, in a few minutes with a great uh, professor here from BYU. Jeff Hill will be joining us, and he's going to walk us through the power of dad and the influence that men can have on their families and their kids. We're going to motivate you folks one way or another. But before we get to any of that, let's go to our good friend Kathy Aiken and find out what's going on in the headlines.
1: Matt, the search continues for a gunman who opened fire during a prayer service in a church in Charleston, South Carolina last night. Nine people were killed. The suspect is described as a white male thought to be in his early 20s. The man reportedly sat in on the meeting for nearly an hour before he began shooting.
2: We have all the resources that are available to us, not only locally but from the state as well as federal agencies. We have resources that are being flown in right now from Washington, D.C. that will help us work this investigation And I can say that we will put all resources and we will put all of our energy into finding this individual who committed this crime tonight.
1: At least three people survived the shooting. One of those, a woman who the gunman let live so she could report what happened. One of the victims was the church's pastor and state senator, 41-year-old Clementa Pinckney. Two years ago, Pinckney talked about the importance of having safe churches for people to worship in.
5: Places of worship are not only sacred places, but they're they're community places. Uh, Just like our our government buildings, our schools, they're the center pieces of our communities. And so we want to make sure that we protect those central pieces of our communities. And this law is important because we already have a precedence in doing that. But we want people to feel safe. We want people who are in places of worship to feel that their properties and their investments in their properties are taken care of.
1: The Emanuel AME Church is a historic African-American church dating back to the early 1800s. South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley has asked for prayers for the victims and their families. GOP presidential candidate Jeb Bush was scheduled to visit Charleston today, but canceled the event due to last night's shooting. Pope Francis said today he's concerned about climate change. The pope urged world leaders to take decisive action to fight pollution. The Catholic leader agrees with those who say climate change is primarily man-made. According to a Gallup survey, Americans have less confidence in organized religion than ever before. Back in the 80s, organized religion was number one on the list of institutions that people had confidence in, Today, Church is ranked fourth behind military, small business, and the police. Former NBC anchor Brian Williams will not return to his anchor chair at NBC. Lester Holt, Williams' temporary replacement, has been named his permanent successor. Williams was suspended four months ago for exaggerating his involvement while covering a war story in Iraq. He'll have a new role now with MSNBC. And Matt, I'm not sure why I'm asking you this question, but maybe you'll know. Mm -hmm. Do you know why women's soccer is more popular than ever before?
0: um no
1: (laughs) well according to the head of women's soccer in brazil it's because women are getting more beautiful and wearing makeup
0: oh brother he said
1: quote we used to dress the girls as boys so the team lacked a spirit of elegance and femininity now the shorts are a bit shorter and the hairstyles are more done up you've noticed that right
0: well, for sure, but <laughs> but isn't that why are they? So, I mean, because how about just because they're awesome?
1: They're awesome. I know,
0: and they're a ma- and they're. Ser- I mean, really, I, I don't know. That's
1: sometimes oh, men. I think like to look that's, at a well, feminine it is. women's athlete. Don't you think? Oh yeah, yeah.
0: And, and that. But you don't.
1: You don't say that. You don't say that.
0: No. And honestly, too, it's it's pretty dang awesome. And there's nothing more intense, I think, in sports than. Women's soccer, girls, women. I just think of high school girls' soccer. I had no idea how intense that is. That is scary. Oh, today's game and is, is amazing. And, and do your this, daughters play? No, They did till the accident. Uh, no, they did when they were young, and th- it was intense then. But I went and watched a, a girls' soccer game. Crazy, like brutal, and. So maybe it's because they're pretty, but maybe it's just because it's finally catching on. And I'm going to bet a lot of the viewers are girls. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The mm-hmm. girls are wanting to right. watch the girls. How, Absolutely. I agree. And, and Those are th- their
1: role models. You know, girls right. in sports don't have a lot of female uh-uh. role models. Especially
0: at a professional kind of level. Right.
1: Right. right. I mean, Mia Hamm yeah. was the big one you yeah. know, a few years ago.
0: Well, do you and- remember that? That's where I think it all – and that's probably why that uh, that sexist comment came in there. When the US won the gold and one of them threw their shirt off, and all of a sudden it's like, here we go.
1: Here we go.
4: But
0: there is probably, I mean, I could see that in the rest of the world where that was probably a compliment in Mm -hmm. Brazil.
4: Mm -hmm.
0: You know what I mean? It's about how beautiful these women are. Culturally, that makes sense to say, but.
1: There's such great athletes today, and and it, it, it's nice that there's more women for these young girls yeah. to look up to because there's several for the men. I mean, well, come on, they're all over the place. A lot
0: of these girls are playing sports that then they never can really go pro unless you're going right. to be a beach volleyball player. Right. They don't have pro volleyball. Very few women's that, pro sports that's, that has, yeah, that attracts people.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Women
0: need more role models. But don't you say
1: they? the women's beach volleyball. Yeah. You know how they're dressed. Exactly. And, yeah.
0: So in a weird maybe that Very and different. maybe that's how this. That's just sad. Yeah. That's the only way we supposedly could attract, I guess, male viewers male. to watch volleyball. That's true. That's pathetic, that's isn't true. it? That's <laughs> true. It's true. No, it's, it's, it's also good because you're and an expert And I think that's why gymnastics is
1: popular. Uh-huh. You know, it is. It's a more feminine sport.
0: That's sad.
1: Mm-hmm. It is.
0: Because don't, I don't sit there and do women go watch NBA because of the good-looking guys.
1: I remember years ago, there were women that would tell me they liked to watch. This Cut. was when their shorts were really short. <laughs> yeah, John And John Stockton, a caramel Malone had these really short yeah, shorts. Those I was like, creepy. really? That's why you're watching? I mean, that's, that's kind of nice. <laughs> I mean, I but was like watching Kyle Corver, the,
0: the Atlanta Hawks, isn't he? Atlanta He's Hawks, Atlanta right Hawks forward. Uh-huh.
1: Right. Everyone
0: Roddy. loves him. Yep. He's just the hot Good looking guy. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not why they're watching, is it? That's not so me. weird. Not it's me. Weird. I never... mean, obviously,
1: I think there's women that watch it for that, and men watch women who are feminine. It's just that's. The but I it guess is.
0: that's true too in tennis. It's true uh, in race driving. What's her name?
1: Oh, I just went Danica to Patrick. Danica Patrick. Thank you. Yes,
0: she's getting all these commercials, all this ad revenue right? because she's and if pretty, she even was attractive and a yeah. bigger
1: woman, it would be a different story. That's, right. that's just how it is.
0: Holy cow! Yeah, but you don't say that. I, I guess mean, I guess we haven't come as far as we thought we had. I mean,
1: thank you. You're right.
0: We need to keep progressing. <laughs> we need to progress. But boy, and we need to not say that. That's just yeah. We, you know, women's soccer is taking off because they're more beautiful and they wear makeup. <laughs>
1: And nothing's worse than going out running with makeup, believe me. Oh, believe And me. then you come home and it's clogged your pores and you're trying to get it off. It's like, yeah, why do I, I do that? I
0: do the TV once a week and I wear makeup. I'm admitting it. And honestly, I like it because I look a lot better with makeup on. But, yeah, it's true that you're sweating. There, you're... Uh,
1: there is the best ESPN commercial years ago. Okay, yeah. there are two main anchors years ago. It shows them in the, uh, the dressing room. <laughs> and they're talking about this. Oh, did you see that hockey game, last what a night? game. And what it was just a brutal, and, yeah. you know. And then all of a sudden at the end they go, by the way, your foundation is really looking good. It is one of my
5: all-time it favorites.
1: Is. Is there, and they're talking about these manly things while they're putting on their foundation. That it was, is just so did good. look real good.
0: Man, it's pathetic.
1: Yeah. What kind of makeup do you wear?
0: Uh, Mac. I love Mac. Mac is great.
1: Very good. That is, I think, what most television people wear. You know, what, it is wear. so funny.
0: If I were a man, I'd say, you know, I don't even know. It's just in a little round container. You should have said my that. My wife yeah. You probably
1: it. know that the, the color, right? What's yeah. the color?
0: It's a number. I can't remember. Like it's, NC it's, something. Yeah, NC. I don't remember. Like yeah. thirty something. It's on the back of I'll it. I'll remember that. For I'm your not. Birthday. See, that's a data point. I won't know until I turn my little makeup over. Isn't that pathetic?
1: No, it's. You don't uh, wear blush, do you? No. Okay, good. Just the I, foundation.
0: Just, the, just that. Yeah. I and don't when even, you start
1: wearing eyeliner, I'm going to get really concerned.
0: I don't even powder. <laughs> Ben's over here like, this guy's
1: weird. This guy's so weird. He can't have a shiny forehead.
0: No, you don't want to shine on TV. Well done, Kathy. Thanks for outing me and my makeup. Uh, We're going to take a break. When we come back, Jeff Hill, a BYU professor, uh, is going to be working with us. He's he's from the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University. He's going to be teaching us about the importance of fathers. Folks, they make a huge difference And a lot of times we marginalize men, and just like we marginalize women in their soccer game, sometimes we marginalize men in their role as being a father. Uh, We're going to be talking to an expert and find out, really, why are dads so important? A little tribute for upcoming Father's Day, also to get your mind thinking about what you should be getting your father for Father's Day. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back, friends. We're celebrating uh, fathers and, and the important uh, role that that fathers, male role models, can play in our lives. You know, the ideal is if that's your father, and we know that that's not always possible. But don't underestimate. If you have a dad um, that's tried and is trying, don't underestimate their value. Because some of the things that dads do provide, they may not, on surface, seem like they're that important, like the dad that roughhouses with you and, you know, teases you and gets you to do stuff and, you know, has your risk. Sometimes that doesn't seem like that's smart, but the research actually bears out that they're giving you the experiences you need to grow in life. Joining us is Dr. Jeff Hill, who is a professor in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University and uh, is an expert in integrating work, family and financial responsibilities He's teaching us today the important role of fathers. Uh, Jeff, welcome to the show.
6: Thank you. Thank you very
0: much. Great to have you. Um, so, teach us more. What, what else? What else are the are the things we're getting from our dads, or the men in our lives, or that we should be getting?
6: Well, men particularly have the ability to teach productive skills. You know, to teach you how to do hands-on type thing. Yeah. And those hands-on skills are valuable for sons and for daughters and so forth. And of course, mothers can as yeah, well. Yeah, but, absolutely. But fathers typically are really able to do that. Um, for example, my own dad, I remember um, when I was seven, he taught me how to mow the lawn. Yeah.
7: Oh, that's huge.
6: And uh, and he taught me a really valuable lesson because uh, it, I could learn – I got money because of it and I could, yeah. I had – And I had earned that money. But one thing that he taught me that was really good was what a job well done was. Mm. Uh, When I mowed the lawn, he gave me 2 bucks, And he said, let me look over this lawn. He said, oh, you did this so well for the first time. Let me show you how you could do a little bit better. Interesting. And life is the better job you do, the more you'll get paid. To make a long story short, over a a couple of years, he taught me how to do – uh, a five dollar lawn, yeah, up to the point. How to and,
0: edge it? How to trim it? How to make it look pristine?
6: I thought he was so smart. Then I found out there's an article in the Reader's Digest that said the five dollar lawn. <laughs> He's working you, <laughs> but he had taught me how to, how to do that.
0: Was that magazine in your bathroom? Right? <laughs> that's our <laughs> right. Dad yeah, used that's to like read. It.
6: One sitting reading. <laughs> <That's then? laughs> so great.
0: That is so true, though. But I mean, really, and it's it's this it's kind of a gradual thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, sprinklers. We just changed a bunch of sprinklers at my house, and it's funny because my kids are like, "How did you learn to do this?"
6: Yeah, and it's it's, it's cool. from your dad. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's usually it's, dads yeah. teach that kind of thing. It's
0: and what's so interesting is, but maybe we're getting so busy, we may not even be knowing we're handing right. down these lessons, or even or even right. it might be easier for me to think I'll just mow the lawn,
6: right. And, or it might be easier to pay a professional service uh-huh. to do the line. But well. the, these kids it's need easy. these lessons. You need to learn. That's how you raise children is, is and, working with them.
0: And money. Like I worked a lot with my dad. My parents divorced, but I worked with my dad every day. Mm-hmm. So my dad basically taught me a lot about business. He, I would watch him close deals. I would go out with him and deliver stuff. And he taught me a lot about kind of money, managing it, making it. Security. Right, and
6: it. what you do with it. I, my dad always told me, and and I'm thinking about my dad a lot because it's Father's yeah. Day. And this is my Father's is, Day. Gift is he still alive? Him. He's still alive. Oh, excellent. He's 87 years old. Oh, beautiful. Old. Um, um, but he said there's two kinds of people in the world people who pay interest and people who understand interest. Yeah. And one of the ways that was taught was we had a family bank. Yeah. And in this family bank, you could put money in the family bank and uh, you could get 10% interest every month. Wow. Good interest rate. That's a great interest rate. But you could also borrow and pay 10% interest every month. What a smart idea. And so uh, children quickly earn – (laughs) learned that – it's really smart to say, it's right. really dumb. Is it F-
0: was your bank FDIC insured?
6: <laughs> no, it was uh, <laughs> totally at the uh, whim of the parents. <laughs> that what a really great idea. Because instead we
0: just lend them money and they think money's free and they think money's easy.
6: So, we do that That's great. in our family. Um, our kids got too smart, though. We Uh-oh. realized they'd be millionaires if they kept their Just money. Just keep in the their money in their dad's So we go limited through. it to 100 bucks. You can only get up to 100 bucks in, in, in the Hill Mulford family <laughs> bank. <laughs>
0: that's so good. But <laughs> well, that's a great little technique, isn't it? Um, they, how do you think dads fare in the relationship world? Because it seems like mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. men are always laughed at for not knowing how to handle the relationship.
6: Mm-hmm. Well, I think. Relationships are a complex thing and and women tend to have a natural penchant in certain types of relationships that we value. When a father – the key is when the father has a good relationship with the mother. That's the ideal.
0: That's the ideal.
6: That's the prototype for a child of all relationships. If a child has seen the father and the mother work through anger, work through difficulties – and be successful at that, they believe that in their relationships they'll also be able to do that.
0: It gives them – it's a model. It's a hope. That it's almost – it standardizes the, what it looks like.
6: Mm-hmm. It, it, it really does. And and uh, you've heard the saying, the, uh, the best thing that a child can uh, – that a father can do for his children is to love their yeah. mother. Yeah. So if – If a father has an affectionate relationship with the mother, and the children see that, Mm -hmm. it's important for the child to see that. Um, Yeah, so keep it out there. Perfect, safe. So, so you know, when you come home from work and have give your wife a big hug and a kiss, that's about the best thing that. for the child's Especially social development,
0: if they're grossed out, like if your kids are like, oh, don't do that," <laughs> then you know it's working. That's, <laughs> You're like, that's true. We got them. We got them. <laughs> I, I love to just, and you've talked about it a little bit about dads get us out into the world, mm-hmm. and I mean, whether it's hiking, biking, or activities or fishing. My dad mm-hmm. would always take me fishing, yeah. and honestly, I hate fishing, mm-hmm. and I hate camping. And it's, <laughs> I don't know why, but it's, but I, but I know how to do it. Sure. And I, I'm probably, I'm pretty good at it. I just don't like it. But I learned all of that from my dad. Mm-hmm. I learned how to gut a fish from my dad. Mm-hmm. I learned how to catch a fish.
6: And you learned that it was okay to be dirty. Yeah. And to not take a bath for three or four days. Right. Or right. all of those things that, that dads like to do typically mm-hmm. more than, yeah. more than mothers do. And, and uh, when you think about what's good for a child, actually camping—you can't beat it.
0: Yeah. Well, why? Talk about that. Because my kids—I have never gone there,
6: <laughs> and I feel bad. Because, should I call you to repent? Yeah, you probably should. Because we'll
0: have like a father-sons activity, and all my—the minute they announce it in church, all my kids look up the aisle at me. I mean, up the pew at me, like, "Are we doing mm-hmm.
6: that?" And I'm like, "Eh." Well, and especially for younger children, yeah. below the age of eight, we're in, uh, they're in the sensory motor type uh, of development, s- development yeah. and and uh, a little bit above that as well. Uh, their job to develop is to explore the world and experience novel ex- mm. experiences in a safe environment. When you go camping, there's all kinds of things that they've never seen before. Oh, yeah. And you just bring kids, especially under the age of about eight. If they're out there, they'll just explore, get sticks. They'll figure out how <laughs> to make their own fun. And yeah. they'll do, they'll no. do a, lot of, a lot of great stuff.
0: And, 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 there's, and there is a, there's a certain type of liberty when you're outdoors too that it's – and it's just kind of natural and it just feels – I don't know, maybe a connection to God too.
6: That's Right. And I've heard a lot of stories. I haven't actually experienced this. I wish I had. Yeah, yeah. Heard a lot of stories that when, you know, like a father is out and you're under the stars mm-hmm. and there's nothing to do and you just talk into the night and that um, there are really special experiences that can happen. That is, In that case, I think I've had too many kids for that to happen yeah, at once. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, and you're, you're getting old, Jeff. <laughs> you fall
0: asleep at nine now, don't you? <laughs> Before the stars even come out. It's so. Um, it's such an interesting thing too, because uh, there's there's a need, I think, for boys and, and girls. I've learned that um, almost. So when I would work and counsel young women, for example, about uh, if they're too promiscuous, if they're getting in trouble, if they were doing things that they didn't mm. feel good about, mm-hmm. I'd always, I just always ask about their family life. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I saw there was a breakdown with mm-hmm. their father, a father that wasn't present, a father mm-hmm. that wasn't there. And it's, it seems like dads are important to sons because mm-hmm. it's a role model, but sure. it seems like they may even, in a way, be more important to a daughter because it almost sets up her relation to her spouse. Right her God mm-hmm. you know a lot of male types of hierarchies or archetypes
6: the research shows that a protective factor uh, that protects you against uh, early sexual activity is having a positive, affectionate, appropriate relationship with your father. Mm-hmm that when you, when daughters feel comfortable with their fathers, and when they've had the role model that that uh this intimacy is for a husband and a wife, yeah, why that's a strong protective factor, so having a father that you feel comfortable with giving a big hug, yeah, and all of that is very very helpful
0: and it um it seems like it's there's that weird moment cuz you know I would wrestle I have one daughter and five boys mm-hmm. but I came from a family with three do- three sisters and mm-hmm. a mother so I was always the only boy mm-hmm. and now I only have one daughter but it seems like we'd wrestle the same we'd play the mm-hmm. same we'd play catch the same we'd play tennis we would do all that but and we'd hug and hug and hug and then when she started you know mm-hmm. evolving and and emerging into this young woman mm-hmm. there's this moment where you're like okay we can't do that <laughs> we're just going to a little hug, kiss, mm-hmm. and there's. It almost seems like that's a. It's a pivotal moment in mm-hmm. these. So we've got to find a way to kind of bridge that gap. Sure. Stay sure. loving and in, mm-hmm. and, and just make it appropriate.
6: Yeah, that's right. That's, that's
0: very true. Oh, but it, but it's so huge when I hear about it. As we think about it, Jeff, with our um, with our God, how do you? Dads could play a really important role that's, in in morality and just in belief systems.
6: Mm-hmm. It's a. As with, re, with uh, morality and belief systems and belief in God, having a father who's not hypocritical, that actually walks the walk, talks the talk, related to moral things, having a father that you know tells the truth, Yeah. having a father who tries to be kind and loving in the attributes that are, are taught in that spiritual sense, Yeah. Um, someone who's truly that way, really goes a long way to instilling that same set of values in their children
0: which is big because we're seeing that more and more youth are pulling away from church and religion today they we just did a news story about how they believe less in it it's now the fourth institution they trust mm-hmm. it's dropping in hierarchy and and yet some of that too the research is showing they just even the, it's cuz parents are kind of fading From that as well. So, if you want to raise a family in a belief system, or a church, or or whatever, as dads, we need to we need to own it. We need to believe it, live it, not just talk it, but actually have a relationship. I've often
6: said that uh, for a father, you should be the kind of person you want your child to become, Mm. and then be around them enough for it to rub off. And example is the best teacher. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's so powerful. And um, what, what – as we're thinking about Father's Day, you know, gifts aside, what, what could we do for our dads that would matter?
6: I think the most important thing is to specifically express appreciation. Um, I got a letter once from one of my children where just – they just listed several uh, specific things yeah. that they loved and appreciated about me. Um, I have kind of an adage that says STP, that when you share something that's specific, true, and positive, mm. you just really build someone up. And that's, I guess, that's what the advice I would give to people for Father's Day, and not just for Father's Day, but always. Yeah. Uh, to look for our fathers and share things that are specific, true, and positive about them. And there's
0: no harm to that. Even if they weren't perfect in 50 ways, you could still find the one where they were pretty awesome, an STP.
6: That's exactly right.
0: Dr. Jeff Hill, you did it again. Happy Father's Day to you.
6: Thank you. And to your dad. Thank you.
0: What's his name? Edward. Edward. He's a great man. What a great man. And Edward, you've got a great son here. (laughs) you did it you did it my friend well Jeff Hill thank you again uh, he's a professor here at BYU you can find him if you go to the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University He's uh, he really is a true resource for all of us on our families and our marriages he's also just a great guy which is so awesome we'll take a break my friends come back and uh, wrap up uh, this first or the second hour of the Matt Townsend show thanks for being with us Dads Matter hope you felt the power of it We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back, my friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, dads, they matter, and... Again, I get it that there's so many people out there that that have had probably a bad experience with their father or didn't have a dad. And so I don't want to nobody should feel guilty or bad because of of the dad situation. The The deal is they, they matter and and let's just accept it. And if we aren't the kind of dad we want to be, then let's just pick it up let's try that today to just be a little bit better today and then we can oh i know but i'm such a loser cuz i wasted all these years okay sure we could spend hours talking about how much has been wasted or we could just go engage and um well yeah but what if my what if they won't you know accept me back in okay well you tried but uh, for all of us we've we've we need good men in our lives. And I think uh, there's a lot of men that want to be better. And we might need a little push here and there. Um, So maybe be a little less frustrated with us and a little bit more, um, I don't know, inspire us, help us, guide us. A lot of us, as we talk about on the show, we don't know what we're doing. We weren't born knowing how to be a good dad. Um, And some of us may not have had a, a great role model. And some may have had a great role model of a father that might be great socially, but not great at home. They may have been great as a provider, but they weren't necessarily great as a teacher in the home. But that's that's a benefit, too. There's some interesting research that shows one of the number one indicators of the success of a of a child financially is their father. Wherever their father tends to be financially, the child tends to follow. So just financially. Dads, influence your kids. I'll never forget. uh, My my dad always, uh, I got to see him. I got to see him work. I got to see him day in and day out. Uh, I got to see how hard he would work. I got to see his creativity, which was really important because I kind of feel like a lot of my creativity has come from him. And yet he was more of an artist and he was a designer and and a photographer and a and a, a sculptor even, and an artist. And my I don't have any of those skills per se, but I get to be creative every day. And I saw how he kind of created a job atmosphere where he could was allowed to be creative, yet still could make money. And I saw how he created a lifestyle kind of business that would allow him to go have the lifestyle he wants. And amazingly, I've created a lot of the same things. And we're very different. And my dad wasn't even in the home. In fact, I'll never forget the one of the great decisive days of parenting uh, when my parents had divorced. My mom uh, was taking care of us and my dad took us for Easter and I brought home, I brought home two ducks, little duck chicks, ducklings. And um, oh my heck, big mistake by my dad. <laughs> I brought home these ducks and when my mom saw him, she's like, what the heck? And I'm like, yeah, it's Butch Cassidy in Sundance. And I played with my ducks every day until I realized what the term dead duck means. And um, my mom had to take the ducks away because they were too big of a mess. But you know what was interesting about it? I'll never forget it. My dad's the one that gave it to me. My mom may have thought my dad was crazy, but in the end, it was a risk move. But it was also a good move for me because it did teach me how to take care of an animal for about a month. Dads are important, folks, and remember that. And if you're a dad out there, let's pick it up. Just try to be a little bit better. What's the most important thing you can do today to be the kind of dad you'd like to be? And you don't always have to, oh, I just don't want to be like my dad or I don't want to do this. Don't think about what you don't want to do. Think about what you do do. Think about where you do offer some interesting insight. What skills can you teach your kids? How can you help them manage their money better? How can you help them risk and face the world a little bit stronger? How can you enhance the relationships with your home life, your family, your marriage? How can you help them explore the world? Very, very important stuff. And again, you can't replace a dad. Um, you, can, you can put other people that can fulfill certain roles, but there's something powerful when it's your blood and they're there for you. Um, so be, be reaching out to your dads and, and take the advice – of Dr. Hill. Just go be very specific. Tell your dad what you love about him, how they changed your life. Tell him something that's very true and positive. Find the one thing at least and let your dad know what it is. That's it. Have a great Father's Day. We'll take a break. Come back. More insights, more ideas right here on the Matt Townsend Show.
1: This is the Matt Townsend
4: Show. Your guide on the side.
1: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
4: At Dr. Matt Show. Call the show
1: at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
4: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
4: BYU Radio.
0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show, hour number three of the show. Man, we've touched we've touched a lot of great topics today today. And uh, we're going to continue the push forward this hour. uh, Got a lot of great stuff coming up. We'll be talking about uh, with Whitney Johnson about why teens are more entrepreneurial than their parents. I have two kids that make more money, significantly more money than I ever did as a teenager by just getting out there in the real world and uh, pushing it. And so we'll be talking about that. Also do a little uh, Sports Nation opportunity. Find out what's coming up on their show at uh, the top of the hour, but uh, we somehow, we just got to talk about what's going on in Charleston, South Carolina, tragedy, a church shooting, and I know uh, Kathy will be getting into it, into the news. It's just sad. Nine people killed um, because of, it's a hate crime is what they're calling it, but a a white uh, 20-something-year-old male uh, entered into this church, sat for an hour, listened to their Bible study, and then opened up fire at the Emanuel African Methodist Church, which is a historic church. Martin Luther King um, had, uh, I guess, passed through. um, And it's just, again, so symbolic of the conversations we need to be having in our community today. Not not easy, not ideal, but, uh, again, I think the country should be mourning on this one because lives, nine innocent lives, incredible dads, Three men died, I believe. Six women died. One person was then left and told, you know, they they weren't killed. And they said, "I want you to tell everybody." The 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 shooter told this woman, "I want you to let everyone know what happened." Anyway, tragedy happening there, and again, you can't. It's part of us, folks. Part of our country. It's just. It's not just Charleston. This is America, and nine innocent people in prayer shot down um, by one man our prayers are going out to those, the families in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Let's now uh, shoot it over to Kathy Aiken and uh, find out what's going on in the rest of the country.
1: Well, Matt, the FBI has identified the man who opened fire during a prayer service in South Carolina last night. 21-year-old Dylan Roof of Lexington, South Carolina, is the suspect in the shooting that killed nine people. Roof's uncle, who recognized his nephew in a photo released by police, said Roof's, Roof re- received a 45 caliber pistol as a birthday gift in April. Here's Police Chief Greg Mullen.
2: This is a tragedy that no community should have to experience. It is senseless. It is unfathomable that somebody in today's society would walk into a church when people are having a prayer meeting and take their lives. And I can assure you that we are going to do everything in our power, find this individual to lock him up and to make sure that he does not hurt anyone else.
1: Roof is believed to be the only shooter in the crime. One of the victims was the church's pastor. Meanwhile, the search continues on for the two escapees from a New York prison. Officials released new time-lapsed photos of the men on how they may look today with facial hair. The search has expanded after 11 days of searching in the nearby 10,000 wooded acres. Brian Williams, the NBC anchor who was suspended for exaggerating a story about the aircraft he was on while covering the war in Iraq, will not be returning to his former job. Lester Holt, who had been filling in for Williams for the past four months, will stay there, becoming the first black solo anchor of a weekday network nightly news. Williams will reportedly do work now at MSNBC. For the first time in over 40 years, McDonald's is closing more stores than it's opening this year. The world's largest hamburger chain has over 14 thousand U.S. locations. McDonald's is trying to hold on to customers who are looking for healthier alternatives. Pope Francis is calling for action on climate change. The Pope said if nothing was done, the Earth would become, quote, an immense pile of filth. He said climate change is a global problem with grave implications and blames the problem on fossil fuels and human activity. And Matt, here's a question for you. Who's on the $10 bill?
0: (laughs) Um, Holy cow. No idea. He's
1: not a US president He was the first ever u s. Secretary of the Treasury. That helps, right?
0: Um no
1: Alexander Hamilton
0: I, I was gonna say Hamilton. Yeah. I thought Hamilton was a president. He was never
1: always, the first us Secretary but of Treasury
0: are not they booting him?
1: He is getting booted for a woman you got to love Excellent. that. Excellent. Yeah. Which woman? Well, we don't know that yet. So it's supposed I to come out. I say Kathy Aiken. Yeah, No, you have to be dead. So hopefully I won't be dead. Okay. But it's coming out in the year 2020. Okay. And it's to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the women's right to vote. Excellent. Yeah. You,
6: wh-
0: Hillary Clinton.
1: You have to be dead. Oh, yeah. That's the rule. Hmm. Yeah. So That's a big rule. Who was the last woman on a U.S. paper currency?
0: paper currency. This was
1: back in the late 1800s. Give you a little... Key, uh, uh,
0: mm, no idea. Oh, I would say Martha Washington.
1: Very good. It was Martha Washington, yes. So even though the current um, U.S. secretary of Treasury ha- is going to, you know, make the final decision. Yeah. He's letting the public vote. Vote. You know, vote. So who are we going to vote for? So here Who, it is. who are the, the nominees? Well, the person should be iconic uh-huh. and have made a significant contribution to or impact yeah. on protecting the freedoms of our nation. Okay. So that's just it. Yeah. yeah. They haven't really put names out there. They're just asking for ideas. So here are a few. Yep. Eleanor Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. Harriet Tubman. Yeah. Let's see, civil rights activist Rosa Parks and Wilma Mankiller. I've never heard of her. She Uh -uh. was the first female chief of the Cherokee Nation. Interesting. Yeah, so lots of great women out there.
0: Um, Wow. This is a big decision.
1: It is a big decision because I'm sure that will be on there for a long, long time. Well,
0: and then it's going to make you start thinking, why Ben Franklin? Isn't Mm -hmm. he on the $100 bill or something? Who's on the $100? I don't don't have enough money.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I have to say I rarely have $100 bills.
0: Because we need more women on the money. Yes, we do. We had Susan B. Anthony coins,
1: right? You know, and that one didn't really. That's no. a tough one. That one really didn't catch on. It
0: didn't, didn't catch, catch on.
1: on. But you know, as soon as they make the announcement, everybody's going to say, "Well, why not her? Why not yeah. her?" Yeah. So it's going to be, be a, a battle. tough decision. Yeah. There's a lots lots of great women.
0: That that really is a you know it's it seems like Tubman would be great. Yes. Rosa Parks, Parks would, would, be, would great. be great.
1: Eleanor Roosevelt would the be great. The ten dollar bill. There's lots of them. Yeah. It's hard because, like I say, they have to be they have to be deceased.
0: Yeah, that that's a big deal. Yeah, well, that's, that's actually really deal. good because you don't want. People, you know, Pelosi <laughs> positioning to get on the ten dollar bill.
1: Oh, I'm sure she probably will.
0: Politically, that people would want to do that. Let's, let's try that. Yeah, Sarah Palin well, it should
1: be me. Yeah, no, that wouldn't go over well. Yeah. But yeah, see, if, this, good. If, if we
0: go here, then we're going to have to go Rushmore and add a female onto Mount Rushmore.
1: Is there room? I've never been there. I haven't either. I'm not sure there's room.
0: Maybe we just, you know, make room.
1: You could do that in your next summer vacation. Just take your hammer and chisel, you know, and get up there. That would be that. Got away.
0: That's interesting. What do you think um, about – it's interesting. Brian Williams. Mm -hmm. Lester Holt. How cool is that? I like Lester. I like
1: Lester. A lot. Uh, I really like him. Um, You know, when you just start – when you start exaggerating stories, and he also had the one in the Hurricane Katrina, you know, seeing that saw a body floating down. I mean, you just – that just shoots your credibility and that it's never good when but, you're in the news. But
0: the the, the sad thing is – so he's apparently not good enough for NBC. Right. But he's good enough for MSNBC, SNBC, which, which – where watches. are they already struggling in the ratings anyway? And <laughs> maybe they'll
5: like, yeah. think,
1: hey, he'll, he'll boost but our ratings. I, I used to know. love
0: Brian Williams, but he really is kind of more of an entertainer news guy. You know what I mean? He's, he's – He's a funny guy. He was the guy that would go on all the shows uh-huh. and make everybody. They all the late night shows all the late loved night him, shows, right. and he'd slow jam the news and everything. But he's an entertainer. It's kind of like
1: okay, yeah. That's a tough one to overcome, though. When you yeah, all well, these things start coming out, it's like, yeah, that's not. Good. Well,
0: except then you have you know survivor contestants that eventually make it on Fox News. Who's that? Um, the woman whose whose husband's the quarterback. Hasselbeck.
1: Oh, Hasselbeck, Elizabeth Hasselbeck. So wasn't she a she was survivor? survivor?
0: She was on Survivor, I think. I've and, never and eventually, seen one episode so, of Survivor. So this whole idea know. of journalism is so skewed, anyway. I don't know; it's just weird to me. So w- we can bring on a Survivor contestant that seems like a real journalist now.
1: Mm-hmm. I think she's more of an. I think she's more of an analyst. Well, she, well she's I'm a sure morning commentator. Her. Right. Yeah. She's, she's a morning show right, commentator. Right. Right. So
0: it's a different, I guess, level mm-hmm. of journalism. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to, you know. Be negative about any of them. It's just, but then you've got a real journalist that's kind of that. Even though he lied, has done some other stuff that's uh-huh. pretty impressive. Still, uh-huh. Uh-huh. he's gone to Iraq. He's done all this reporting, and then meanwhile, you know,
1: some of it's not true.
0: Some of it's not true. So send them to <laughs> MSNBC.
3: <laughs> that's a well, then
0: MSNBC always gets beat up anyway because the Sharpton and show, and anyway,
3: and their numbers aren't. This
0: is good. what's happening to this is what's happening to the media world. That's why you got to listen to the Matt Townsend show. None of us pretend to know anything or none of us uh, have really had horrible history of lying.
1: Do you have any history of lying?
0: Uh, I'm not going to talk about that. (laughs) Not that it would matter. (laughs) I just lie about stupid stuff. Did you break that window? No. You lie. You lying liar. Well, thanks, Kathy. Well done, my friend. Hey, we're going to take a break. Come back. Whitney Johnson's going to be joining us. Um, We're going to be talking about the teenagers today. Uh, There was just a really interesting article we found um, that uh, she had written about about how teens today are much more entrepreneurial than their parents. This is a cool thing. Our kids are getting into the movement of, hey, make some money, start thinking it through. We'll be getting into that up next right here on uh, the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, growing up as a teenager in today's society is much different than it was even 20 years ago. The world's different with all the new technologies and the ever-increasing demand for perfection. You know, one more reason that today's teams uh, seem to be pursuing their dreams and, and actually having some success with it at a much younger age than even their parents did So why is this? We wanted to find out uh, what's really going on. Why are these teens so uh, entrepreneurial and uh, and having such success? We're going to an expert on it. Whitney Johnson is joining us. Whitney is an investor, a speaker, a published author. She's the founder and managing director of Springboard Fund and is the author of two books, Dare, Dream, Do, published in 2012, and the upcoming book, uh, Disrupt Yourself, Putting the Power of Disruptive Innovation to Work which should be out in October of this year. Whitney Johnson, welcome to the show, my friend.
5: Thank you. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Great to have you. I mean, it's true. These kids, I have a daughter that took piano lessons, learned piano just like the rest of them, but has actually turned it into a full-time job. She graduated from college and is making a lot more money than she could with her PR degree just teaching piano full-time. She's killing it. Yeah. And I'm like, I I had never in my life seen a piano student go work themselves. And she started as a teenager and created this career.
5: Yeah, yeah. And I think what's interesting about that is we're seeing this more and more. I had a similar experience with my daughter who, 14-year-old daughter, who decided that she wanted to go to Korea this summer with one of her friend's families. And so we said, okay, that's fantastic. You can go, but you've got to earn the money. Yeah. So, you know, in her situation, she wasn't old enough to go out to get a traditional job. So she started baking bread and baking cinnamon rolls and selling it to our neighbors. And lo and behold, she's now earned the $3,000 that she wow. needs to go to Korea. So, yeah, it's interesting. And so one of the things that was fascinating for us is we looked at her we thought, okay, is she the exception or is she the rule? And we did this very quick poll on Facebook. Facebook's good for that kind of thing and said, to our friends, okay, so how did you make money when you were in high school and how do your kids make money? And one of the things that we found is that for our peers and so people who are Gen Xers and boomers, about sixty percent of them had very traditional teen jobs, you know, the flipping burgers, yeah. the waiting tables, which is what I did. I worked at a burger pick in San Jose, California. Um, But then when I asked what their children did, we found that only 12% of them had these really traditional jobs. And so we started, my husband and I both started looking at this and saying, okay, what's going on here? Why is this different? And what does this mean for the future? And so that was the question that we set out to answer in in this piece that we wrote for Harvard Business Review.
0: And what did you come up with? It's is it what's different about it? I mean, I guess I guess kids used to kind of be a little uh, creative and entrepreneurial. They'd go get the old lemonade stand going or whatever. They'd have a paper route. But this is more exactly. this is more independent, like driven.
5: It absolutely is. I think there is, there's a confluence of factors happening. I think one is just the media. I mean, we if you think about shows like Shark Tank yeah Souls like that we're not on when we we're children and it's featuring these young entrepreneurs, these really feel good stories of these kids chasing their dreams and having success. And you can see that see that playing out in a Gallup poll that came out that eight out of 10 kids want to be their own boss and four out of 10 want to start their own business. I think another thing that's happening is that, while there are some children that are or teenagers that are more entrepreneurial, there are some that aren't. And so one of the things that we saw with our daughter is that there was this huge groundswell of support from our neighbors. I mean, they could have gone to the store and bought bread. It would certainly have been less expensive than $5 or low for even cinnamon rolls. But when they saw that she was willing to get up at 5 a.m. in the morning to bake bread on a Saturday, they were more than happy to support her in buying this bread so that she could go and chase her own dream. Mm. Uh, I think another thing that's happening is that technology, I mean, it's so much easier to start a business than it was when we were young. I mean, one example that I I came up with, and there's lots of them this, 17-year-old teenager, Nick D'Alicio, in Australia. He's an app developer, and he was able to develop this app that summarizes the news. He sold it to Yahoo for $30 million. Now, I know that's an outlier, but if you think about it, for a 17-year-old, a 15-year-old, they don't need to go into the office to start a business. Right, start it right in their own home. Um, And then I think the fourth thing I would say is college. It's so competitive to get into college. And so one of the things kids are doing is how do I differentiate myself? And again, like you said at the beginning, um, you know, you may have kids that are like, okay, I want to do a paper route, but now it's like you need to not only have a paper route, but you need to be the person who's running the paper route. And it's not enough to contribute to the school newspaper. Maybe you should just start a newspaper online and see if you can make money off of it. And so kids are really looking at ways to make themselves much more competitive um, in terms of getting into college. It's an entire
0: paradigm shift, isn't it? Yes,
5: absolutely. And it's
0: more individualistic. It's, it's, It's like I don't necessarily need to go to college. We used to have the hoops we had to jump through and get the MBA before we could ever be a business success, we believed. And then it seems like people... Yeah, even Bill Gates kind of blew that up. You don't have to finish school. Uh, you don't have to finish your MBA program or whatever at Harvard. But in the end, it's like the kid's like, well, I can design an app right now. and right. And they're already that's trying right. it, right?
5: That's right. And I think you – yeah, and you're absolutely – I mean, to your point about going to college, there is definitely an increase – there's a shift that's happening in the education world of people saying – you know do we really want to measure measure college credits? Shouldn't we just be measuring competencies? Shouldn't we just see what people can do and do they need to go to college to be able to do that? And I think that's that's still in the offing. That's not happening yet. Mm-hmm. It certainly hasn't become mainstream. But I think that's the natural extension or consequence of what we're seeing now as our as our kids are becoming much more entrepreneurial.
0: oh it's it's a powerful uh, shift. I, I wonder as as a parent, if um how, how you instill that, maybe these are kind of the early adopters, like your child, my child. Some of these are the ones that just kind of naturally do it or they they might have a natural skill set that leads to it or, a t- you know, just a love to control. And I don't know what it is, but it, I'm afraid. Uh, you know what, what if you're the parent that what if your kid doesn't yeah. do it, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, man, are these kids getting behind if they don't if they don't well, become a little more independent?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a combination of, you know, as we said, you need to get into college. I think having a tough economy has certainly made made a difference. I think a lot of these kids have grown up seeing their parents being out of work or not having jobs. And so they're, you know, if you say to your child, it's a lot easier to say to your child, I don't have $3,000 for you to go to Korea mm-hmm. than it is to say, well, I do have $3,000, but I'm not going to give it to you, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a little bit that happens there. Um, what I would say from a, as a parent, um, if if our kids aren't as entrepreneurial, I think we need to be willing to let them fail and sort of see the consequences of, okay, if I don't work hard, I'm not going to get what I want. Mm-hmm. Sooner rather than later, um, and then of course there are going to be some children like your daughter who just were motivated, and then they're going to they're going to have an advantage. So we try to give our kids who may not be as motivated opportunities where they can fail enough so that they figure out, oh, maybe I do need to be motivated, and and think about approaching the workplace, approaching school in a more innovative fashion. Mm,
0: great, that's so true, so true. We're talking with Whitney Johnson. Uh, let's take a break, and uh, I want to come back, Whitney, and have. Have you teach us? I mean, is there a downside to this, this kind of entrepreneurial spirit? Uh, I mean, maybe there is something that you could learn flipping burgers, just having to face, you know, the the clientele versus hiding away, maybe building an app or something. We're going to continue the discussion with Whitney Johnson. Go check out her website, WhitneyJohnson.com. And when you get there, you can look at her books, Dare, Dream, Do, which was published in 2012. And the new book she's bringing out, uh, Disrupt Yourself, which will be out uh, later on the shelves in October. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. friends to the Matt Townsend show hey have you ever noticed that your kids are just man they're real entrepreneurial they are they're taking over the world maybe they are they're just thinking differently about business I have a son-in-law that uh, can make a ton of money just aerating lawns and he I mean and he does it in such a, a an incredible way that he really he could pay for a lot of stuff is school and a lot of life just by working for two months in the summer it's interesting this entrepreneurial spirit of our teens uh it's it's might be a sign of the times actually because some of the things that are going on wouldn't have maybe been happening many many years ago some of the media influences and so we've asked uh whitney johnson to join us and whitney if you go to her website whitneyjohnson.com uh she's just a great uh She's got a lot of great tools, a lot of great ideas. She's uh, an investor, a speaker, an author, and has a book coming out in October called Disrupt Yourself, Putting the Power of Disruptive Innovation to Work. We read an article about this entrepreneurial spirit in our teens that she had written in uh, Harvard Business Review, which is where we found her. So, Whitney, welcome back to the show.
5: Thank you. Again, I'm happy to be here.
0: You know, one of the things I I think might also be at play here or these kind of fundraising sites these kickstarter sites because it's such a part of their these the, the lives of the kids they're seeing that they're seeing iTunes I have a son that is a you know kind of a closet musician loves playing and making music but he now has the technology on his macbook to go design the the song they shoot a video that they put on youtube And then people they send to iTunes to buy his music, and he makes a great living as a seventeen-year-old kid just selling his own music.
5: It's fantastic. And you think, holy cow! Well,
0: honestly, I don't know where they. I really don't know where they get it because when I was (laughs) seventeen, I was just playing video games. But but it's 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 this day and age. It just seems like for the for the child that kind of has their niche or knows what they love um there's there's all the tools to make it succeed
5: yeah and i think you you make an interesting point around technology i think technology has really allowed people the democratization of dreams I and mean, there there are dreams that were inaccessible to perhaps you or me as seventeen year old that are now very accessible to our teenagers again because of technology and if they're willing to you know put in the elbow grease they can actually make their dreams happen which is really oh. exciting and very empowering for them
0: that that really is is do you see a downside to any of this Whitney when you think about them not being able to uh flip burgers at a fast food joint. I mean, you went through that. Is, I mean, because yeah. like I could see my son. In fact, he, we, he graduated and he's just basically gone into his little studio in our basement and we don't see him for days. And I'm like, you might need to go. You might want to go talk to some people, but he's yeah. not out getting to know people and having to face people.
5: Well, I think, you know, it's, it's an interesting point that you raise. I mean, I think there's, it's always a both and. I mean, it's never an either or. And so I think there is something to be said for being out in the world. Um, at the same time, I would say, you know, if you've looked at any of the research of, of Susan Cain, the book Quiet about introverts, yeah, love that book. are more, yeah, it's a fantastic book. And it turns out my daughter, the one that I mentioned, is an sort of introvert off hmm. the scales. And so this gives her an opportunity to incubate a business and build that up. And then it requires some courage to go out and and interact with people. But it also is a validation of that. There are different ways to approach the world. There are ways to approach the world as an extrovert, which I think was more required in our generation. But now there's an opportunity for people to approach the world as an introvert and really validating both approaches. That being said, to your comment about hard work, you know, I I remember – when I was working on Wall Street, we had an application of a fellow come through. He was a math major, which was, you know, impressive. But what really caught our attention was that he had worked as a cow hand in college on his on his grandfather's branch and we said this kid knows how to work and goldman sachs eventually ended up hiring him huh. i also think um, the other day we were at a at a program or a, over at the high school we live in um, boston so the harvard's admissions director was at the high school talking to kids about what what helps you get in and they said you know what we look at if kids have worked, how hard they've worked, what they've done to earn money. So I think to your point, mm. there can be a downside of sequestering yourself, but if you're building something that's going to be really big, you eventually have to go out and interface with the public. Yeah. I think just this way, this new wave allows people to start with where they are, start as an extrovert, extrovert and learn to be an introvert, or start as an introvert and learn to be an extrovert. Um, the secret ingredient is always hard work, but I think that... This just allows for people to to start where they are with their native talents and then develop the strengths that they need in order to be successful.
0: I love your your phrase democratization of dreams because it, <laughs> it was that is it really is brilliant because the introvert c- can do so much in their own mind in their own head and like then they have to go to school <laughs> and then they uh-huh. have to jump in the hoop this way and. So, the freedom that that brings and then you make such a great point that eventually somebody's going to need to maybe my son's still going to have to interact with the other community and the and the world and and learn to get out of it as well,
5: but it gets to more on his own terms yeah, yeah, which I think is really important,
0: and, and frees his talents so his talents exactly. don't have to be filtered through a, a certain way that that actually would minimize his talent,
5: exactly. I think it's actually very, very positive, and I I think overall the fact that our children are more entrepreneurial bodes very, very well for the future because we talk about, oh, millennials are entitled, and I think, you know, everybody's entitled. Millennials are entitled in their own way. You and I are entitled in our own way. But what I do know is that as we see this pace of disruption quickening, which in fact it is, um, our kids who are becoming more innovative – is actually it bodes well because they're going to be able to really manage these S curve waves of disruption that I talk about and and I think that that makes me very optimistic. Oh yeah.
0: I mean and, and it's such a subtle thing, isn't it? It's you might not even notice it's happening until 20 years into this when a lot of the jobs are coming from just creative kids in their basement actually running an entire organization from their MacBook.
5: Right. And, and if I can go back to your video game comment for just a minute, I think that's important. Um, I think it's easy to say, Oh, video games, and you know, there could be too much of video games, but the fact is, is if you think about video games, when you're playing these massively multiplayer role playing games, like league of legends, you're learning about strategy, you're learning how to, um, how to, uh, collaborate with people you've never seen or even met. Those are, Oh, you bet. People are going to need. And so I think, I think, you know, moderation in all things, but I think that even video games that we tend to poo-poo actually are going to be – are developing skills that are going to be very, very valuable.
0: It's a different world, isn't it? Yeah. It's It's not yeah. – you're not just going away to college anymore and no. hopefully downloading everything. No. You, you're, you're going to be able to bring a lot of it with you. Yeah, you, absolutely. you probably weren't able to listen to our first hour. We had – um, we, we looked all over BYU campus for a scholar, and they exist, somebody that could help us understand the Middle East conflict between this, the Sunnis and the Shias. And yeah. we called every professor. All these professors were looking. In the end, they ended up referring to us a man, a young man who's an undergrad student who just pretty much, you know, as an undergrad student, a little on his own but with a little help from professors, has become one a, just a fantastic expert. But he came in here and he's this young, unassuming guy that knew so much about Middle East conflict. And he's, I'm like, you don't even have a master's yet? And he's like, oh, no, I'm going to go get that next. And I'm thinking, Love it. what the heck?
5: What a perfect capstone. Exactly. <laughs> this conversation that we're having. It, out of that's nowhere. And, yeah. and, and
0: the professors referred him. He's the guy that knows the difference. Yeah. So I think you're on to something. And Whitney, is this in the book uh, that, that's coming out in October? Is it all about Disrupt Yourself? Is, is, yeah. this is a-
5: it talks about personal disruption of being able to, um, you know, ride the S curve waves of disruption. The seven variables that you need to think about in order to move up those curves more quickly and then jump jump more adeptly to new curves. Uh-huh. And I think again, what's happening with our kids is training them to be able to scale and jump to new curves um, very very quickly, which is positive.
0: That's so powerful. And what I want to do is I'll have you back on in October when the book comes out because I'd love to, oh, love
6: that. I'd love to I'd pick love it
0: apart that. more and, and find out what the S-curves are that we need to watch and learn some of those principles. Well, we appreciate you again, Whitney. Uh, thanks for your great work and the insight on our teens. Um, it truly is. It's, it's a good time. It's a good time to be alive. Thanks. Thank you. And we'll take a break, uh, come back, and we're going to talk to those guys, uh, you know, the funny, crazy guys at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's going to be coming up on their show in just a bit. Remember, this is uh, the place where we try to give you the tools, the ideas, what you need to find the good in the world. Stick with us and uh, see if we can't lift you a little bit. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. A little tunage for our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Jerem Jordan and Brian Logan filling in for Spencer Linton today. Hello, gentlemen. Bicycle, bicycle. <laughs> I love that song. I knew you'd kick in. so random. I knew it! That's
4: just, that was like a real song? It's
0: by Queen. That's a real song, Brian yeah. asks. Holy cow, that's a great song, Brian. Hey, are you familiar with Queen, Brian?
7: Uh. Nope. We Are the Champions. We Are the Champions. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah, you know yeah. That song? Well, there's yeah.
0: a lot of great songs. Uh, I'm not even going to tell you my favorite song on the album or on from Queen just because it's probably – it just sounds weird on radio. But um, <laughs> but I'd highly suggest you go listen to Queen because it'll change your life. Some
7: good stuff.
0: Hey, uh, you guys – think about it. <laughs> I've got some great news for you. I mean, I know you guys cover you all do. the sports. You always do. Yeah. I know. yes. You cover all the sports. But there's some competitions I know that you're probably not covering on your show today.
7: Uh no, we cover all of
0: them. Are you guys covering the Every single uh, one. are you covering the German Holstein Cow Show? Yes. From Germany?
7: Yes. I can't believe the field this year. There's some excellent competition.
0: Can you believe that the winner won what was the winner's name again, Jerem?
7: Oh, it was uh Dusseldorf.
0: Nope. Uh uh-uh. uh. Lady Gaga. What? Lady Gaga, this just Sprekenzie in. milk? <laughs> milk? Lady Gaga is the prettiest cow in all of Germany. <laughs> wow. A competition to find the most attractive cow in the country has been won by an animal sharing the same name as the famous singer. She beat 200 other cows to claim the top prize in the German Holstein show, and Lady Gaga was crowned in front of 5,000 spectators. I bought Lady Gaga three years ago. <laughs> I have no idea why the previous owner gave her that name.
7: It's like it's like in horse racing. There was a there was a horse named Jimmer for dead. <laughs> Are you serious? Jimmer, yeah, just Jimmer. So it's like Jimmer down the backstretch. <laughs> no, just, just random. Like you can American fair. You can say you can say whatever. If you, if you could name,
4: if you had a horse, would you, would you would you name?
0: Oh, I'd name him. I'd name him Brian Logan. Oh, because he's a. Deed stud.
7: I, I would name it 7-Eleven and try and get money out of it. That's what I would do. Oh, that
0: sounds rude. I mean, that sounds like you're going to kill it. I would sell out. I name it Elmer. Elmer. Oh, boy.
4: I think I would name mine Jay-Z. After the glue. Oh, my goodness. Do Jay-Z work? Yeah, Jay-Z is a great and name. And Beyonce.
0: Hey, did you guys know that Lady Gaga lives in a private barn in northern Germany?
7: I assume that she had a private barn. And
0: listen to this. this is the actual. This is the actual story. Uh, the cow, which lives in a private barn in northern Germany, that she travels with her own stylist and has a haircut and shampoo before shows. It is thought that her strong legs and well-formed udders helped her to win. To celebrate, Lady Gaga was milked and washed.
7: You you do need those things for championships. Apparently. Who would
0: think you'd get that into a cow?
7: Uh, I, I don't doubt anyone capable of anything. I know. You know, it's because you've seen for it all be- for better or worse.
0: You've seen it all. Yeah. Hey, um, you guys still doing your show?
7: <laughs> yes. I, I, I always have <laughs> to ask transition. Um, <laughs> I need a new
0: transition. It? Yeah, but when I find one that works, I like to just use it over and over until it's like a dead cow.
4: I mean, yeah, if it's not broke.
0: Yeah, yeah, just keep using it. What's coming up on your show today, gentlemen? Today's
7: loaded. Okay, in, in order today, okay. we're going to talk if, by segment. We have five segments, okay? The last segment's always Cougar, Whipper and Winner. The first four segments, we're going to discuss basketball, mm-hmm. football, then baseball, football, golf. Wow. So basketball, we're going to discuss, will BYU be a better team next year, or uh, this coming season, than they were last year? Yes. Despite losing Tyler Haas. Okay, oh. that that's basically the okay. summary of our first segment. You just summed yeah, it up. I just summed it up. The second uh, segment, Jacob Hanneman, who was a third-round pick to the Chicago Cubs. He's playing double-A baseball. We'll talk to him. He's mm-hmm. tearing up. He was on SportsCenter's Top Ten two weeks ago with one of his catches. Really? Yeah. Then in the uh, third segment, I'll just go segment by segment. Yeah, that's We're going to talk to a guy that has more rushing yards than Luke Staley, Jamal Williams, and Taysom Hill. His name's Jeff Blank. He finished fifth in his career, played in the 70s. It's a throwback Thursday interview. It kind of sets the table for BYU football media day next Wednesday, he'll be cool. in town for that. Uh, and then in the fourth segment, Todd Miller, son of legendary golfer Johnny Miller, who 42 years ago yesterday won the U.S. Open, that competition begins today. We'll talk to him about his dad's accomplishment, his golf game, and also one of his former uh, players because he's a coach at BYU. Daniel Summerhays uh-huh. is in the U.S. Open. He's in the
0: U.S. Open
7: today. He tees off at 5:06 Eastern.
0: What a show!
7: And Action, Brian
4: Logan's here. Are
0: you guys, is Brian going to say anything on the show?
4: I'm just a regular, so, uh, well, well, you know, when the lights come on, when they, when they fully come on. <laughs> the primetime player, man. Uh, you, you kick know, that's in. That's when I go into character right now. I just try to let Jerem get all the shine.
0: That's know. good. <laughs> that's so Literally nice Literally on my forehead. Yeah. Yeah. That is so nice of you. But it's, it, the funny thing is, a lot of times when the lights kick on, people get the deer in the headlight thing. But you don't. That's when you kick in.
4: That's when I take it up another notch. I, I, I go to another level, man. I just it becomes <laughs> Some elite. Something comes over me. I can't really explain it. Maybe it's like the Holy Ghost. The Holy yeah, spirit. it's or the zone. You're in the zone. You no, know, it's like the maybe it's like the sports nation. You know, it's spirit. Or the karma. The sports karma. That's what we can. It's get. the sports it's nation. The karma, karma kicks in. The karma. The karma kicks in. The karma
0: kicks in. <laughs> it's that's where you go. Karma chameleon. <laughs> I think that that's right. another song.
7: Brian always brings it. Brian, Brian came from a JC, yeah, college to BYU, and then, and then just killed it. In. He started BYU's game against Oklahoma with a broken hand. Oh my in heavens! Big old club.
4: Yeah, I still
2: have. He, he brings
4: it.
7: He I totally brings it.
4: I still have the bone. You can kind of see it on my hand because I didn't. Get, I chose not to get surgery. Oh, so it's it like kind of a trophy. Has it kind uh, of pops out. It yeah. pops out of. Uh out of yeah. out of out of the out of my skin. Yeah, well, it's I like say out of my skin, but it you can see like the the. It's the bump. obviously it's, different. It's, it's, it's a yeah. definite conversation my starter. Is gone, actually, too, <laughs> on my ring finger. It's is
0: funny. it is it on your finger? Hand is it a is it it's on your it's a finger.
4: It's my hand. Oh, it's on uh, your hand. But but it affected my like my knuckles, so my knuckles gone. Oh my god! Uh, so fun- Fight Club's not as effective anymore. Mm-mm, nope. Mm-mm. It was. What's funny was uh, I remember being disappointed in, in Coach Min all coming up. I think it was Coach all, or maybe it's Coach Reynolds. Coach Reynolds came up to me and said, Hey man, that's a bad omen. Uh you, you cut you broke your your ring finger hand. Whoever you're dating, <laughs> you should just stop that right now. Oh. <laughs> oh <laughs> Cricket. Cricket. the funny the crazy part was that I was dating my high school sweetheart at the time back home in California. We were together for six years. Uh yeah, no yeah, no longer together. Oh Didn't my heavens. Her. called it he yeah, called, he called it. it he called
0: it, yep. yep. Dude Always listen to Coach Reynolds. Yeah, man. Okay. I'm sorry your hand looks so messed up.
4: Yeah, it's okay. I'm married now, so it's yeah. all good. It's yeah, it's
7: better than your face being messed up. You that's,
4: know what I'm saying? That's right. Well, it's okay. I got ma- I could wear makeup on you know here. Speaking makeup of
0: messed up on faces, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to find a segue, but I don't have a story for that. <laughs>
4: well, that guys, is that why you don't have?
0: That, that's why I'm on radio. Okay. No,
4: just, yeah, matter?
7: I'm just messed up. Whatever. What? Oh, hey, man. Whatever you
0: guys, right. you guys, yeah. Anyway, hey, uh, have a great show. Thank you. Make Thanks. sure I'd, I'd start those lights now. Get Brian going before the show starts.
7: No, we walk in here and it's it's on. Game Face, he's turned. Yes, you guys are pros. Un-turned See, that's why
0: that's why you get the big bit. That's why you get the big money right there. Oh, uh, pros. Uh, this pros,
7: This is an yeah. unpaid internship. What uh-huh.
0: you have lights on your in your studio. We just are sitting here in the dark.
7: Oh, we love <laughs> we love. Uh, we love that studio. You remember the radio days? Oh, yeah, it was great. Just we always, a little basketball hoop into there. We'd dunk on it during. The
0: oh, summer. that's why the walls are all banged up. Okay,
7: we have to close the doors because everyone's like, I know,
0: guys I so know. Look, sports guys are so loud. Sports <laughs> guys are so out of control. <laughs> <You're> sports guys, <laughs> 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 Apparently, all management speaks with a lisp here. <laughs> anyway, at least they're not listening. Okay, thanks, guys. <laughs> have a great show today. Thanks, Manny. Thanks, You're sure. awesome. Be good. <laughs> we just, oh, Ben, we just. <laughs> Spoke with a lisp and said that that's how our management speaks. I Are you scared. making fun of No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm just, actually, I just want to point it out. Jerem did it. I had nothing to do with it. I know nothing. Hey, you know, we like to end the show talking about heroes, right? And uh, our hero today is a bus driver in Los Angeles. After suspecting a kidnapper was on his bus, this bus driver did uh, something amazing. Actually, all he could do, really, to save this, save in the situation. Here we go. About an hour after receiving the news that a child had been kidnapped from outside of a local library, Tim Watson, a city bus driver, noticed a man and a boy on his bus that matched the description released by police. Watson noticed the boy was crying, so he devised a plan to help save the child, In order to not upset the kidnapper, Watson stopped the bus and began asking passengers about a missing bag. He then examined the passengers and searched the area for the bag. Once he was near the boy, Watson was sure that he matched the description, so he returned to his seat and he alerted the police. Calmly, he continued to drive the bus to the station where the cops were and where they were waiting, and as soon as the bus stopped, the police were able to apprehend the suspect and rescue the child. How cool is that? City officials are naming the man's actions heroic. Tim Watson, a father to his own children, simply said, I feel I did what any other father would do. So Tim Watson is our hero of the day. By the way, bus driver. So always look out for the bus drivers. And uh, what a stud. Now, here's the deal. We Ben had made a comment earlier about how many of our leaders at, at BYU uh, speak with a lisp. And it just so happens that our boss, Don, walked in right after that. Hello, Don. I mean, you can't uh, remark. <laughs> I don't think you ought to be talking that, this way. <laughs> Don, you don't talk hey, like that.
2: No, did, no, no. Okay. Did you hear what Jeremy said? I, I went said? to a speech therapist uh, early on in my in Did you my get booth? it
0: fixed? You straightened it out? No. It sounds but, uh, great. Oh, thank you. No, that many, many of many kids do. You know, actually, yeah, they do, and it's it's and a totally it's, normal. Generally, thing. it's a sign of high intelligence.
2: It so. totally is. Yeah, you're yeah.
0: ahead of your lips. Yeah, your brain works faster <laughs> than your. Right. It really is. That's yeah, what yeah, I. Yeah. That's what I've been told. Um, did you hear that? Jerem though said Jerem's the one that said that. Yeah, the, in, I, and and, actually, and I, I do blame it all on the sports guys. The sports guys, man. Those guys. Good to have you back. You've been out Thanks. of town. Yeah, actually, a yeah, little bit of vacationing, staycationing. Staycation. Oh, yeah. so you didn't go anywhere? No, no, no. Just hung around and have a daughter that uh, came back from back east. and That's fun. Yeah, and yesterday, You've been gone a long time. It's been uh, months. By the way, best sleep of my week. <laughs> <laughs> when you're out of town, I sleep like a baby. Oh, yeah. Underneath my desk. But, yeah, they listen to BYU Radio back east there.
7: Do
2: and so they? It was
0: fun to yeah show them they wanted to see around the
7: did you take them around yeah yeah
0: maybe um did did they do they listen enough to be listening to you right now No okay well maybe we ought to talk to our kids more and get them to they're actually <laughs> avoiding this right listen now, to so. the show right now good to have you Don thanks for joining us uh, again sorry that Ben made that comment Ben that was kind of rude. Ben's our uh, new board op yeah yeah James yeah, yeah, is it, it, on sabbatical it, it, where, where did James go James is uh, trying to get a job oh wait a minute. <laughs> loser. This isn't a job? He's on an, He's got an internship, I guess.
2: Oh yeah, that's right. Yes, so, I do know
0: that. He's starting to turn into a man. The little boy we raised from a pup is turning into a man. Folks, that's the show. Thanks for joining us. Remember, we can't do it without you. You can find us uh, to podcast if you want to just listen to podcasts or send them on to people. Go look us up on iTunes or tune in if you use Android or any, you know, go to you can always listen to us on SiriusXM or go to byuradio.org. Thanks for listening, folks. Can't do it without you. Until tomorrow, take care, be safe, and make it a good one.